Hello and a welcome to Music Makers San Diego, where we shine the light on San Diego area songwriters and their music, from well-established ones to up-and-coming ones. I'm your host, Gary Lee. My guest today is Dana Duplan. Welcome, Dana. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I understand your father was uh, from New Orleans, your mother from Texas and New Mexico. I'm betting that opened up, uh, opened you up to quite a variety of music growing up. It did. In fact, uh, my mother played the steel guitar when she was five years old. Oh, really? And I still have her steel. Do you? Do you play? I do play. I play double neck Fender from the 1950s with eight strings, no pedals. How long have you played that? Probably about 25 years. It's not my main instrument, but when I when I have a project that needs it, then I you know so I do a lot of wood shedding and get myself up to snuff. So um, I was fortunate to play with a few groups where it was kind of critical to the sound. So what were you? Um, what was being played in your home when you were younger? Um, a lot of variety of music. Uh, my dad tended to like, being from New Orleans, he tended to like um, kind of R&B kinds of things like Fats Domino and that. And um, there wasn't a whole lot of country, but I remember um, laying on the living room floor and going through my parents' record collection, and there would be a Buck Owens record, Fats Domino record, a Jimmy Smith record, um, and they were also into more easy listening things like Johnny Mathis and um, that kind of thing. So there was a lot of variety. And some of the records I sort of handpicked that, oh, this is cool. And this one's not cool. <laughs> Montavani was not cool. Yeah. <laughs> but Jimmy Smith was cool with right. Kenny Burrell on the guitar. So. <laughs> were, were your parents uh, musically inclined? Did they play any instruments or sing? Well, my mother was. She played clarinet. You did mention she played. And steel, steel guitar. But I think when she was really young, she played the steel and um, I think she performed one time in her little hometown of Hot Springs, New Mexico, which later became Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. They changed the name based on the TV show because they, the TV show wanted a little town to associate with, well, with well, the game show. So here, Here's a little something for you. I lived in Truth or Consequences. Oh, really? Yes. I was in radio there. Wow. At their one little rinky-dink radio station yeah. up on the hill. So you put many miles on that one-mile loop, huh? going yeah, round and round. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she played steel when she was young, and then in, uh, she played clarinet in the school band. Uh, my father, not so musically inclined, but he's always been a fan. Um, where are you from? I was uh, born in the South Bay area of Los Angeles. So I mostly grew up in Torrance and then later Palos Verdes. And then when I was about 25, I couldn't wait to get out of the city and moved up to Tehachapi, where I lived for quite a while. And when did you move to Ramona? Right around uh, 2000, 1999, 2000, somewhere in there. Do you remember what your uh, first introduction to music was? I do. I remember owning records when I was really young. In fact, the very first 45 that I ever got was for my fourth birthday, and it was um, a copy of Ragtime Cowboy Joe by Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> and I still have the record, and it's got a little label on it with my name on it. And um, so I assume I probably took it to kindergarten for share. <laughs> And then I also remember having these records that were like a booklet that came with the record. 
And so you would sit and you could follow the words or read the stories as um, the record was playing. So I remember those. And also I remember going to a friend's house and he had a record of Goodbye, Cruel World. So I think it was by Bobby Darren. I'm not totally sure. So this was all when I was around four or five years old. And um, obviously it had an impact because I still remember those memories. So You, um, before you got your first real guitar, I read that you had a uh, homemade cigar box guitar with fishing line for strings. That's true. I think I was probably seven. And, um, you know, I'd probably been asking for a guitar since I was little. In fact, I've seen pictures with like those little plastic wind-up guitars. And uh-huh. um, and I would sing along with records and just sort of pretend strums. So my dad went out in the garage and got a one-by-two and a cigar box and fishing line and rigged something up. It wasn't really playable, but I could pretend and I could strum along. Right. And then you got your first real guitar when you were 10, right? When I was 10. And your parents bought you that? They did, for my 10th birthday. So it's really easy to mark how many years I've been playing, but it was a horrible guitar. The strings were about an inch off the fingerboard, and I remember it cost $17 at a Certibon store, which is like a Target or something like that. And that guitar literally exploded one night when we were having dinner because the there was so much tension on the bridge with the strings being so high, it just flew off the guitar. <laughs> and I had always wanted an electric guitar. Why the guitar? Um, probably like a, a lot of kids my age seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. It was kind of um, a landmark. And I always, I always liked guitar music, but seeing the Beatles, every kid my age wanted a guitar. And so I would have my head in Beatles records and... In that, and when I did get that first guitar, I would buy. I bought a Beatles songbook, and then I could learn learn chords just by looking at the little chord charts on the on the music. So you're self taught. Um, not completely, part. but initially. So you were listening to the Beatles. Uh, what else were you listening to personally? Um, when I was ten, it was mostly the Beatles and and things that were on the radio, the Stones and that. Also, surf music was big, especially being in the South Bay area. So there was a, we had a group of friends, about four or five guys that all had guitars. And obviously this is way before YouTube and that. And the only way you could learn is to kind of pick something off a record or have someone show it to you. So we would sort of swap things that we learned, like, hey, I learned this lead to Pipeline, you know, check it out. And then then he would show the other guys. And so that part was kind of self-taught or, or shared. Um, aside from your love of music, you also love horses and the Western lifestyle. How far back does that go? And do you own a horse? I do. We have two horses now. Um, I think I initially got interested just... From going horseback riding when I was a kid, a lot of times that would be a um, like an outing with the YMCA or something like that. And then also our family um, vacation every year for about six years was to go to a dude ranch up in Central California called Wonder Valley Dude Ranch. I think it's still there. And um, I got real interested in horses at that time. And then... Um, and then later was able to either lease a horse or own my own horses when I had property to do so. So do you have a ranch up in Ramona? Well, 
Some would call it a ranch. I I wouldn't, <laughs> in fairness to real ranchers. <laughs> but I have an eight acre parcel that, um, and the horses are on the property. You're a, a performing member of the International Western Music Association. What, I am. What does that entail? So th- it's um, by definition, it's an international organization that promotes Western music. Um, which is still happening. You know, it's kind of, some might see it as a dying art, but there's a lot of new folks that are coming, even young folks that are really good. And so we we try to promote, I guess, promote the cause. And we do shows around. There's a national convention every year in November. And um, they have performances and workshops, things like that. Um, Being a member of the California chapter, it's mainly centered around the L.A. area. So we're fortunate to have the Autry Museum of Western Heritage there, and we do quarterly shows up there, so I have an opportunity to perform there. And I hope to perform in Albuquerque for the, for the national convention at some point. Do you have to be invited to join, or can anybody join? Anybody can join. It's, it's a, a dues membership, and for either fans of music or there's another level for performing artists where – you can do a bio on the website and a picture and that. Oh, okay. So, uh, You're going to play three of your original songs for us today. Tell us about the first one. Um, I think I'll start with the cowboy song since we're talking cowboy music. And um, this is a song that I guess has more than one layer to it. When I wrote it, the inspiration was seeing a picture So I have a lot of horse books and training books and have worked with several um, horsemen that I would consider mentors. And I saw this picture of a man um, was in his well into his 90s. He weighed about 90 pounds and was about 90 years old. And he was so weak that he couldn't lift his saddle. So he rigged up a pulley system in his barn to be able to lower the saddle onto his horse. And it just made me think about, um, you know, here's a guy a lifetime with horses, and he's going to do it until he can't do it anymore. And he was as committed to the cause at 90-something because he went through this. So, And then I thought about other folks that have kind of mentored me with horses Mm -hmm. and follow a tradition of horsemanship that um, I'm into based on early California vaquero-style horsemanship, which is really an art so, and then on the other layer, it's really about any mentors in general, of what I think makes a good mentor. It's someone, again, who's dedicated for life. They're always learning something new. They tend to be humble. They tend to be more than willing to share what they know with others. And so while it's got some cowboy lingo in it, mm-hmm. I think beyond that, I was also thinking about what is good mentorship. But... I call it a rope and a rafter from the, the picture of the guy lowering lowering his saddle. He also later in life became a popular clinician, so he would he would travel around and kind of showing what he knew or people would come to him. So and I've known other, several other folks that are in that category, so kind of for those. All right, whenever you're ready. Okay. He was a great beast and cowboy with a gift that's hard to define. Learned the ways of the rainsman, a tradition 
he worked to refine Horse hair and leather Rawhide in the old Spanish spade Take the time that it takes Something he always would say He learned doing less The horses would give him their all He could solve many problems No matter how big or how small And he'd made some good horses With his skill, his knowledge and ways Didn't care whether buckskins or dunnies Or sorrels or bays When he turned 87 Folks started asking him how Swing a riata and how to handle a cow. Though the bones and the muscles were weaker than when he was young, and his saddle grew heavy, he bet he could still get it done. He could gentle a pony with timing and balance and feel Using the secrets the old time vaqueros revealed And he'd help other cowboys with their horses if they cared to try As he lowered his saddle from a rope in a rafter up high Now his mind and his body are gone but his spirit lives on After thousands of sunsets he just couldn't make the next dawn While the lessons that mattered are the ones that still live on today He'd want you to know to keep searching to find a new way And he could gentle the pony with timing and balance and feel In the secrets the old time vaqueros reveal And he'd help other cowboys with their horses if they cared to try As he lowered his saddle from a rope in a rafter up high And he'd help other cowboys with their horses if they cared to try As he lowered his saddle from a rope in a rafter up high
Do you remember when you uh, wrote your first song, when that was, and what it was about? Fifth grade, and it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> all I remember is, I love my baby all of the, all of the time. All of the time, yeah, all of the time. Because yeah, yeah's were really big in 1965. Right. Right. With the Beatles. And uh, the family had one of those little Magnus chord organs, so I thought I could put a band together. And I got a few other friends over, um, which was going to be our band. And I think we had the one time that we got together. So that was that was my first. <laughs> yeah, I had a I had a little jug band when I was nice when I was in high school with my brother and his friend. Excellent. <laughs> um, where do you draw your inspiration from for your songs? Well, probably too many inspired in, inspirationers <laughs> to. Uh, Mention, but for what I'm doing now, I love uh, Tom Russell, Ian Tyson, but I have a heavy influence in like old music, old blues, jug band music. You mentioned um, classic country, what I would consider classic country, and of course, growing up on rock and roll in the '60s, you know, when songs were, you know, had a catch to them or a hook, and um, but in the folk world, probably more the Texas singer-songwriters and some of the more contemporary Western artists. Uh, do, you, do you often finish writing a song in one sitting, or are you one who uh, sometimes will start a song and then just put it on the back burner to come back to later? I tend to not finish something right on the spot. I'm kind of the champion of coming up with song ideas and then letting them sit and not finishing them until I get a little... I have to get really disciplined to write something. But the ideas come really easy uh-huh. for me. But putting the songs together is more of a process. So I tend to have a long list of songs on the back burner, and then I'll work on one for a while. And then I might... Depending on how quickly it comes together, um, you know, I might set it aside or I might start on another one. So mm-hmm. I could have three or four projects going on at one time. Do you ever mix and match those, those I ideas? I do. Yeah, and I also sometimes I'll come up with more than one way to approach a song because I tend to hear the melody when I'm thinking up the lyrics. Like like that last song, for example, as I was thinking up the lyrics, I was envisioning it as kind of an old cowboy waltz. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I'll experiment with different, like I may do something as a finger-picking um, style and also do a swing style at the same time and then I'll I'll record a little blurb of it and then go back and listen and then choose and potentially some might have more than one version of them mm-hmm. if it works how do you keep songwriting fresh for you um i think it helps me to just be motivated by others and especially with the scene that's going on in Ramona right now there's a lot of influence on songwriting which I haven't really been around that much in the past. Mm-hmm. But now we have a lot of events where it's a showcase for singer-songwriters. And so that that kind of fires me up to to go there because it gives opportunities that I wouldn't normally have. You know, right. It's different than just playing a show mm-hmm. and maybe doing some covers and mixing in originals. But um, But when there's an event to work towards say, a, a showcase I did, the old sod down in San Diego, kind of put a little added pressure. Okay, I got to get some more songs going. So that really helps motivate me. Right. That's uh, writer's round. 
that you were having. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to Music Makers San Diego. I'm talking with Dana Duplan today. Uh, what's the next song you're going to perform for us? I think I'll, um, I'll do a new one that I've been working on, talking about getting inspired by something. Um, we recently started a songwriter's workshop up in Wainola Heroes. Mm-hmm. So thinking, well, I got to write some more songs. And that kind of inspired me to get busy and write this one. And also um, finding out about this interview kind of put a little more pressure on me. And so this is brand new, like maybe two weeks old. But the idea for this one um, was just, I was, I saw something or heard something about a guy that lived in the desert and he was a lifelong desert dweller. And the notion was sort of like, well, it's not for everybody, but this is what I love. And living up in the Tehachapi area, you know, the high desert, I worked in Mojave which is as deserty as you can get. A lot of folks that worked there lived in the desert, in the lower desert. I was at 5,000 feet, so I was cool. But, um, you know, they just love that lifestyle. And so that was sort of the inspiration for the song. Right now I'm calling it The Desert. That's the working title, huh? That's the working title. It may stick, though. Desert in the morning, just before the dawn There's frost upon the cactus, silence sings its song Cottontail is stirring, the birds are moving slow The desert in the morning, the sun is yet to show And the quiet speaks louder than words Desert afternoon time, the sun is riding high Frosted has all melted, the yuccas are all dry Tumbleweed is tumbling across the sagebrush floor Desert afternoon time, the sun burns to the core And the harshness speaks louder than words It's one of nature's wonders, not for the faint of heart Might turn your skin to leather, tear your world apart It's quiet solitude to some, to others barren souls But its beauty is beyond compare to the eye who it beholds Desert in the evening, the sun is sinking low The temperature is falling, the winds begin to slow A red-tailed hawk is circling, hunting for his prey Desert in the evening, the sky is turned to gray And the dusk, it speaks louder than words Desert after sundown, the stars are shining bright The old man in the full moon lights up in his delight A lonesome coyote's wailing, 
trying to find a friend Desert after sundown, the day has come to end Nighttime speaks louder than words It's one of nature's wonders, not for the faint of heart Light turn your skin to leather, or tear your world apart it's quiet solitude to some, to others barren souls But its beauty is beyond compare to the eye who it beholds The beauty speaks louder than words So this month, I am uh, shining the light on the Ramona music scene and its artists. Ramona is a force to reckon with these days when it comes to music and original music. Uh, how long have you been living there again? About 24 years. So you've seen it change over the years as it, far as the music scene It's goes. changed drastically, probably within the last three years. And especially this last year, it's just really with the Ramona Music Alliance. Right. What Ashley E. Norton and mm -hmm. John Haas have been doing. Correct. What's it been like to be a part of that? It's been awesome because it really opened a new world to me. I've, um, I've typically been a band guy my whole life and an electric guy. And so as I was moving towards retirement from the day job, I started thinking, hmm, I wonder if I could pull off a solo act. And so I just started working on writing some things and learning some covers of songs that I already knew, ones I could convert from a band to um, a solo thing. And right around the same time, the Alliance started up, started happening. And so now all of a sudden there were all these venues that we didn't have before and venues that lent themselves more to a solo or duo performance, more acoustic if you will, unplugged kinds of things. And so I just sat down and started looking at the numbers. And it's like, well, I'll put together an hour show. And then I realized there were no hour gigs. So I was looking at three hours worth of material and I just started chipping away at it. And I, I seem to recall like Ashley E. Norton was performing at one of the wineries and I didn't even know her. And she she put out an invitation, hey, anybody that wants to bring their guitar by, come by and do a song. So I jumped in and introduced myself, had my guitar, and they liked what I did, and I ended up getting a booking there. So then I really scrambled to get three hours worth of material. But since then, the scene has just grown. We have more venues, Smoking Cannon Brewery, so Ramona many, uh, Ranch wineries. Winery, yeah. lots of wineries. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite venue, favorite type of venue to play? You know, I, I like them all for what they are, really. Um, in an ideal world, it would be one where folks are really listening to what I'm doing and not necessarily there to party while I'm playing. In other words, uh, we call them wallpaper gigs, <laughs> where you're just there to provide entertainment, but folks aren't necessarily listening. So I think I always prefer something where people are really tuning in and they can say, oh, I love that song that you mm -hmm. wrote, or I love your voice on that song, and feel more appreciated, I think. Which is what I have found when I'm up there in Ramona, Ramona myself at, mm -hmm. at the wineries, that, that people are really paying attention. They're there for the music, and that's what I love about it. Right. Uh, tell us about the third song you're going to perform. Third song. So you've probably heard about the Our Ramona CD. 
where I believe 16 artists wrote songs about Ramona. And my idea is a little bit different than the other folks. I tend to have a warped sense of humor that started (laughs) early on. Playing in a jug band didn't help that cause since we had a lot of novelty type songs in our our set. And it's based on, I, I say at my live shows, the song's based on two or three true stories and a whole bunch of made up stuff. And then also Cucamonga. I always thought that was a funny word when I was a kid because my dad would say, we're going to Cucamonga when he wanted to surprise me. So I say it's got nothing to do with the song, but I jammed it in there anyway. But this was actually based, the idea came from a true story. My wife texted me as I was setting up for a gig and she said, there's a fire at the chicken ranch and they're evacuating chickens. And I said, well, that's a Dana Duplan song right there. And I put it in my phone. And then, and then when this uh, Ramona project was uh, starting up, I thought, well, Ramona has a long history of poultry production. I'm going to make that my, uh, my Ramona song. So I call it Evacuating Chickens. <laughs> okay. And it's kind of, uh, this is another one where I, I heard it either as a talking blues or a ragtime style song. And... Um, ended up being more of a ragtime feel to it, which goes along with that early blues influence that we were talking about. I was playing a gig in Ramona, California, when the wife rang me up, said, thought I better warn you that a fire broke out. The Pine Hills Chicken Ranch, about a half a mile away as the rooster flies, the smoke and the flames were beginning to rise, and it's a little too close for comfort to take a chance. So I asked her if she needed me to come home. She said, not yet, honey, I can do it on my own. The wind is in our favor, at least so far. Then she grabbed some papers from an old file drawer as she loaded up the horses through the trailer door. And then she threw the old dog and some clothes into the car. Well, about that time, the sirens were heard and she could hear some squawking from the feathered birds as they moved them from the coops into the crates. Then they threw them on the back of a flatbed truck as they pumped in 20 gallons from a diesel pump and then they headed down the 67 grade. Evacuating chickens, what the dickens? Feathers was fine like snow falling down Well, they're trucking cluckers Loading up them suckers And hauling them to the other side of town When they finally arrived at the other side of town The driver whipped to you and he turned it around Cause he got the word The flames had just been doused Seems the firemen held it to an acre and a half With the help of all the volunteer staff And they saved the coops, a shed in the old outhouse But on the way back home, the truck caught fire And it was burning through the cages and the chicken wire And the driver snuffed it out just in time Well, it might have been a spark from a cigarette butt Or spontaneous combustion from the chicken stuff But I suppose there's just no logical reason to rhyme And when he got back home to the chicken place You should have seen the old foreman's face When he'd heard about what happened on the route 
Well, the driver's head rolled like a tractor tire Cause they discovered that he started the original fire As the foreman proceeded to yell and scream and shout Evacuating chickens What the dickens Feathers was fine like snow falling down Well, they're trucking cluckers Loading up them suckers Hauling them to the other side of town So if you're gonna go to work on the chicken ranches Don't rub two sticks or play with matches That's the moral of the story, simple but true And if you're starting fires in our town Ramona Stick you on a bus to Cucamonga or Pomona Neither fish nor fowl has any place for you Evacuating chickens What the dickens Feathers was flying like snow falling down Well, they're trucking cluckers Loading up them suckers And hauling them to the other side of town Well, our town just don't want your kind around In Ramona, California, USA Sounds like something uh, Dan Hicks and his hot licks would have done. Yeah, maybe. Uh, tell us how people can uh, find out more about you, uh, find out where you're playing, and where can they find your music? Dana Duplan Music. It's D-A-N-A-D-U-P-L-A-N music.com is my website, and there's links to my Instagram and Facebook um, social media on there. And um, that's probably the best way, the easiest way. It's Dana Duplan Music under all the all three of those platforms, so... My website has some samples, and I keep a calendar up on there. Well, Dana, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was great meeting you. I enjoyed uh, our conversation and uh, really enjoyed your music. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate uh, the interest in my music. I hope to catch you out and about in Ramona sometime soon. Excellent. Thank you. That does it for another episode of Music Makers San Diego, where we shine the light on San Diego area songwriters and the music from well-established ones to up-and-coming ones. Until next time, I'm Gary Lee. Have a good one.